Hi, welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast. I'm your host for this evening, Austin Zwiebelman. And with me, I've got... Tim M. Sullivan, and I don't have a beard. And live from his new apartment, it's Joseph Vrenick. Cue the Saturday Night Live music. (laughs) I got a new apartment, too. Finally did it. Now I can be back permanently. Hey, Joe, what are you doing next? I'm going to Disneyland. (laughs) He said it! He said it! (laughs) As, As you can tell by our energy tonight, we're going to be talking about Dune. Next week. <laughs> this week, we're talking about A Clockwork Orange, everyone's favorite movie that nobody hates. Stanley Kubrick's dystopian masterpiece about a dude named Alex who's a total sod. So, gentlemen, I want to ask a question first because Kubrick, his name has a lot of weight with it. You both went to film school, right? Kubrick, that's a big name. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask some generalized Kubrick questions because. We always go to this thing and we have a little bit of background and I figure a nice little Kubrick free for all would be fun. But let's start with the hard one before we get to the easy one. Why do you feel Stanley Kubrick's films stand out among the rest? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely something that uh, has been dissected uh, time and time again by uh, articles and video essays. Kubrick very clearly had a particular style as far as cinematography and writing like there's a very clear auteur identity with his films you can see pretty much any particular detail in his films and he's like yep that's Kubrick Uh, like the famous Kubrick stare you see it in all of his movies Um, it's a trademark of just a character going insane I'll be honest, I haven't seen all of Kubrick's movies. I've seen probably about half of his features. I've seen most of the movies he's made, Dr. Strangelove and Onward. Um, I haven't seen anything for before that, and I haven't seen Barry Lyndon yet, but I hear that that's the best one. I think we were also going to talk about uh, kind of our favorite Kubrick movies. Yeah, if you want to mash the two together, you can you feel free. I honestly think this might be my favorite. I think that's the one I've seen the most times. It depends on the day you're asking. It's either Clockwork Orange or The Shining or Full Metal Jacket. It's one of those three. It's just, they just make the rotation. The Clockwork Orange, Full Metal Jacket, The Shining. Three parents sharing custody of one Tim M. Sullivan's brain. It's true. That court case must have been nuts for the judge. All right, Joe, what do you think makes Kubrick films feel all special to you? And what's your favorite Kubrick film? Oh, God. Um, So I don't think I'm going to have that much of a nuanced response because I'm big, dumb, dumb guy brain (laughs) who likes uh, trash movies, but also art movies. Um, I guess what makes uh, Kubrick uh, or Kubrick, however you want to fucking pronounce it, and uh, film bros, I don't fucking care. You're going to hate me at this podcast. Um, (laughs) I think what makes Kubrick special to me is that he has this like weird blend of making like art house type movies that are also just like super accessible to mainstream audiences. I think the biggest example, and it's not even my favorite Kubrick movie, is probably The Shining, because you hear art people talk about that movie and how it's a masterpiece on, like, a technical level through its, like, thematics. But then you have, like, I, I don't want to say people like me, but people like me who are like, oh, yeah, no, this is just a really scary horror movie. The, the atmosphere, it's spooky. So I, I think that's what really makes Kubrick special. It's 
honestly, uh, like to a lesser extent, and it's probably why he wound up uh, paying homage to him with a movie, but it's kind of like Steven Spielberg in a way, except Spielberg leans more towards the populace. And as far as my favorite movie, it may shock you because I keep saying that uh, I'm a big dumb guy brain, but 2001 A Space Odyssey, my absolute favorite movie by him. And I think that is um, that has been enhanced by the fact that I saw that movie in the theater. There, were, there was a re-release a while back, I want to say maybe 10 years ago, at an indie theater out in Omaha. And I watched it on film. I think it was like 16 millimeter or something like that. But I watched 2001 A Space Odyssey, had a full intermission and everything, and I watched it on film. It was fan-freaking-tastic. So I'm going to flex nuts there and say that. Yeah, um, I I got to see the uh, IMAX uh, re-release a couple years ago, back in like 2018. That was real sweet as well. I definitely think that's a movie you have to like see on the big screen to fully get it like you, you watch it on old tv and it's like this is kind of a boring three-hour movie and then you see it on the big screen you're like i get it <laughs> i i missed the imax screening and it's probably going to be something that i will take to my grave unless they re-release it because i really regret not seeing it in imax when i had the chance got got away for the hundred year anniversary oh no <laughs> no or we could just drive up to the music box theater in chicago the only theater within five hours of us that ever does 70 millimeter projections or weird stuff like that hell yeah I think it's funny that you bring up the sort of like uh, dumb guy versus smart guy thing that always comes up when there's film people discussing Kubrick. This is probably the most me movie that we've discussed on the podcast so far, as far as how much I've enjoyed it, how excited I am coming into talking about the movie. And you want to know what the last one of those was that we talked about on the show? It was actually the Suicide Squad. And that was the one week I was moving houses and was unable to give it the proper treatments It's just very exciting to see something like this represented on the podcast because Lord knows we have a lot of other stuff we talk about. So uh, there was this guy, Adam Chandler in The Atlantic. He was talking about A Clockwork Orange, but he called Kubrick's directing genreless. And, you know, that really bothered the marketing guys back in his day because they're just like, how do we market 2001? Because is that a conventional sci-fi movie? Is The Clockwork Orange a conventional sci-fi movie? Is Full Metal Jacket a usual war film? No, all of his films have these insane structures. The dude did tropes, but they were all Kubrick tropes. Like, he was borrowing from inside the house. He never recycled structure. Like, his movies are all a weird labyrinth of different weird shit, and you never quite know how one's gonna, like, play out. Tim, I'm so excited you get to see Barry Lyndon. That movie's a ride. Everything Kubrick did with Maison Sen is, like, completely over-the-top nuts. He was a research hound. He worked really hard. All his people were ridiculously talented. Like, for instance, you talk about theatrical screening of 2001, right? You can see almost anything in IMAX. I saw X-Men Origins Wolverine in IMAX. You want to know what that did for me? You want to know what that did for me? (laughs) Meanwhile, you see 2001 projected on 70-millimeter film like you could have back in the day, and guess what? There's little tiny rooms with little special effects dudes in there that you can only see if you're at that screening or if you have a massive TV. Did you know that some of the, the, like, that last room where he's sitting in there with God or himself with all the paintings, people are still, to this day, that many years later trying to figure out what all the paintings at the end of 2001 are. One of them is a synthesis of two different paintings Kubrick probably had commissioned. 
And this is another thing. This guy was technically a monster. And I don't mean monster the way, you know, people talk about Kubrick sometimes. I mean, he went above and beyond. So let's logistics this. How do you make a floor that lights up in the 1960s? You're on a film set. You have no access to LEDs. You need a floor where the whole floor lights up. Spoiler alert. That whole floor is lava. And you're having weird astronauts walk on it. You would not see that in another movie. Kubrick was bonkers. He showed people stuff they couldn't see anywhere else, and he was really jazzed about doing it. I love the dedication that guy had to his craft. As far as favorite Kubrick film, mine used to be A Clockwork Orange, and now it's Barry Lyndon, because as I grew up and I found out how films were produced and kind of grew to appreciate richness in film, I kind of fell for Barry Lyndon's charm. As you settle down and get a little bit less crazy over your life, Barry Lyndon just hits the spot. All right, let's move on to our next question. The big one, what are your thoughts on A Clockwork Orange? Oh, God. Uh, I've been dreading this answer. Um, or Well, I've been dreading this question. Um, I promised Tanner that I would make him proud and start off kind of with a joke that kind of ties into uh, how I felt about the movie. So I'm going to start with a rephrased quote from... Uh, Pop music mega babe Taylor Swift from her quote unquote hit song, Look What You Made Me Do. Oh, um, the old Joseph can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, because he's dead. <laughs> so I rewatched this last night and I was kind of dreading it because I was thinking about the last revisit that I had with this, which was maybe a year ago. Um, Because I hadn't seen it in a hot minute. And I remembered from my last revisit, I still thought it was like a five-star movie, um, but something kind of felt off about it, and I'm not entirely sure what it is. Um, So I was dreading revisiting this movie. And then I watched it last night before I went to work, and then I watched it a second time right before I went and saw Dune, so my Thoughts are a little bit more fresh on that movie, and that's probably why my brain's a little fried tonight. So, I still like the movie. In fact, I think it is a really good movie. There's something about it, though, where the charm of it just... It doesn't hit me the same way anymore, because here's the thing about that movie. When I was maybe... When I was in high school, and I was starting to get into film and actually wanted to make movies... Clockwork Orange was like one of those movies that um, like hit all the right spots for me. It was edgy. It, it was also like a big factor in something that I went through in high school, which was watching as many fucking controversial movies as possible. That was the big one for me. And I loved it. I, I worshipped at the altar of it. I wanted to make movies that looked like it because that's one thing that holds up about the movie is how the movie looks. I fucking love the look of this movie still. Uh, I, I worshipped at the altar of this movie. And now here I am closer to 30. I'm like 25 years old. I'm halfway there. My tastes have significantly changed since I was in high school. And I still like the movie. There, there's a lot to appreciate, especially now that I've actually made movies and like how, know how that they're made. But I, I don't know. Something just did not hit the same chord for me this time. Maybe it's because I'm older and my tastes have changed. 
maybe it's because this is also one of those movies that have been like talked to death. Like there's video essays on it. Austin's uh, taking therapy notes for me. <laughs> Again, this is one of those movies that uh, so many people talk about it. I hope that this is the last video ever made about a clockwork orange. Not going to lie. Um, <laughs> there's so many. Maybe it's also because I've seen much more fucked up movies since a clockwork orange. Cause, um, that, that was kind of the thing about the experience. It's like, I still liked the movie, but I felt kind of numb watching it. Ah. Like the violence didn't really like hit me as hard. And it's probably cause I've seen so many more fucked up movies. Cause I, since then I've seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I've seen Cannibal Holocaust. I've seen Sallow. I've seen fucking Hereditary, which that fucking scares me more than most movies. And I don't get scared at movies that often. I honestly have no idea what it is, but I was kind of dreading coming onto this podcast and I was hoping a second viewing would help. But overall, my thoughts on the movie are still good, but... Something about it doesn't feel special to me anymore. <laughs> you know, that's completely fair. When you discover this movie as a teenager and you love it for all the reasons that a teenager does, you kind of don't look back on the movie as much as you look back on who you used to be and how you've changed since then. I went through a similar phase with the movie. I understand what you're going through. So, um, has seen Solo. Very good. We're making progress. <laughs> Sexy Tim Sullivan, lady killer extraordinaire. Tell me what you think of the movie that I oh so dearly love. Well, about a month ago, we did a podcast on the film Ghosts in the Shell, which is a sci-fi classic set in the distant year of 2029. And uh, th this, this week we're doing a podcast on... A Clockwork Orange, another classic sci-fi film set in the even further distant year of 1995. <laughs> so maybe I, I should go back and rewatch it with that in mind, because that was the year I was born. Damn it. <laughs> I think everybody has basically the same experience with A Clockwork Orange. If you watched it as a teenager, you were some mixture of film nerd and edgelord. You were somewhere on that spectrum. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was definitely one that I uh, checked out because I was trying to get into, like, whatever the edgiest thing I could find was. And so, like, that that was one thing that I found out. Like, this was a movie that was originally rated X. Uh, so, obviously, I had, to, I had to check that out. It was one of the, like, big ones in that category. Um, and I think I watched it on Blu-ray when I was, like, 17 or 18 or something. And like when when I first watched it, like the the violence wasn't like shocking to me. It was just, it was kind of funny in a way. Like it, there's definitely a sense of humor to it, even in its uh, very kind of disturbing nature. It kind of just looks very goofy, especially if you're like a teenager in the year 2010 or 2011 watching it. I think watching it more and more as an adult, like the violence doesn't really get more shocking to me, but I guess the element of it that uh, hits with me more and more is just sort of like the police brutality aspect of it and just like the government mistreating people kind of the stuff that's like dealing with higher issues, I guess is something that I'm picking up more on. Uh, Cause you know, as a teenager, you're just not really paying attention to that stuff. And like, I, I think it hits harder when you've had some time to learn about what's wrong in society. Uh, 
But yeah, I, I, I do still think it's a very good movie and I do still have like a very strong reaction to it. Like the cinematography is fantastic. The score is very memorable and stand out. The performances are they're humorous in this like sort of over the top way that like it's definitely intentional. It's like supposed to be funny, but it's still like just very good performances which is something that I enjoy because it's that's not something that like particular blend of like comedic overacting is like not something you really see anymore in movies. So that's always fun to revisit. And yeah, I just uh, overall an enjoyable movie. Thank you, Tim. There were a couple of times uh, in Stanley Kubrick's lengthy ass career that there was an actor he was working closely with who was petitioning Kubrick, hey, I can't be doing this right. This is over the top. One of those was the chief police guy in this movie, otherwise known as the guy whose eyes go like this when he sees a naked lady on stage. (laughs) And guess what the second one was? It was Jack Nicholson playing Jack in The Shining. He kept going to Kubrick like, dude, I've got to be doing this wrong. This is way overboard. And Kubrick just going, fucking do it. Stick to it. You're doing great. Well, I guess we all three had identical experiences with this. We all got on the internet and we're like, what, Google, what is the most fucked up film I can see? And we got on that rainbow that ends at a Serbian film and has a bunch of fun movies in between. And we all like Necromantic too, right? I don't know. <laughs> For me, um, there was a long period of time. I think it was shortly after I had serious committed relationships where I got repulsed by this film. The more times I watched it, because I was just worried about this happening to people I cared about, worrying about home invasions, worrying about violence. I was just like, oh, my God, it ruined my experience with the film. It felt too sadistic. Like, oh, I can't believe when I was younger, I thought this was hilarious or I thought this looked awesome and didn't picture how much any of this is very fucked up. I used to laugh at the list they called this movie controversial. I was like, this is this is baby shit. I've seen Mr. Hands. I've seen Lemon Party. You don't know controversial movies. (laughs) And then I got older and I realized, oh, yeah, this is kind of hard to stomach. And then last night I got way the fuck over that hump. No idea how, boys, but I'm selling snake oil again. How do either of you feel about the NADSAT? Do you know what the NADSAT is? No. No. The NADSAT is the fictional language used in the novel and the movie. You like the funny way they talk? Is that the slang they were using? Yep, NADSAT. Because I I did notice that, and uh, I I didn't realize that was like an actual language. I I just thought it was like Batman Beyond slang, but (laughs) goofier. It certainly makes the movie more unique in that regard, having people talk the way that they talk. I have had people sell this movie like it's impenetrable because of the NADSAT. Have people ever told you like, oh, yeah, Clark or Orange can't understand a fucking word of it and the book's worse? Actually, no, I have not. Yeah, I I, I hadn't really considered that. Well, consider this. So I finally looked up after being a fan of this movie and owning two Clockwork Orange shirts for the last 10 years. I was like, what the fuck am I watching? So I look it up. It's called NADSAT, all right? It's a fusion of English and Russian or Russian-influenced English. So get this. The word horror show, right? That's influenced by the Russian word horror show, which means good. When he says horror show, it means good. Another one is the Russian word for head, which is Golova. And when they say Gulliver, they're meaning head. Because take this, Anthony Burgess, the guy who wrote the book, he was a polyglot who spoke, I shit you not, 
10 languages. I never knew this about this art. It's really cheeky. There's also Cockney and rhyming slang in it. Honestly, it's just cool though, because there's always like Klingon and Navi and Lord of the Rings is pretty cool. But as far as fictional made up languages, this one's rated R, so I like it. The thing that I like is a big part of my notes. Like Tim, I didn't notice this movie was political before. I had no idea. I was so stupid. At the end when the writer was just like, yeah, this is going to lead to a totalitarian society if they keep letting the government do this. I was like, wait a second, he's fucking right. I don't know how I've been watching this for a decade and not noticed this. Also, the movie says some particularly hilarious stuff that chimes in if you've taken like a psych class in college, particularly the School of Behavioralism. So the book, A Clockwork Orange, is slightly more messed up. So it's safe to say Burgess is definitely the weirder mind out of him and Kubrick. But get this, Burgess thought the most dangerous book that he'd ever heard of was actually a book by B.F. Skinner. So in 1971, there was this book, Beyond Freedom and Dignity, and he called it one of the most dangerous books ever written. So the weirdo who wrote A Clockwork Orange, he thought that psychologist guy was doing way worse than he did. And I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I guess I'm just less repulsed by this movie now that I have, like, more security in life. Oh, and Brothers doesn't feel good to be cured. I also love that as of almost just now, we finally have a 4K version of this film. I cherished every second reading the fictional top records inside the record store scene. It was one of those Kubrick signs where he has all the shit written out. It was so much fun. Lastly, I just want to bring up Malcolm McDowell. Is he not just magnetic in this movie? Kubrick cast him in this because of this crazy movie called If. I think it's about school shootings. But it was another one of those crazy X certificate movies. Really subversive at the time. And uh, Cooper cast McDowell and told him, you can exude intelligence on screen, my boy. And hell have me. He's up there with those other great, charming sociopaths that have become popular on, like, premium television mostly. And, uh, yeah, I could go on for days. This thing's a subversive miracle of modern art. I only now wonder if it will grow better as I get older and wiser because this thing seems dense with a bunch of uh, nutrition for your brain. All right, on to some small questions for the rest of this. Scene that stands out off the top of your head. Oh, man, scene, scene that stands out. Um, Anything I, at all. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the ones that um, I guess always sticks out is, like, after the treatment when he's back in town and uh his old droogies are cops and they just beat the shit out of him fun fact uh malcolm mcdowell almost drowned during the shooting of that scene yeah uh, hold your breath yeah. for as long as he's under that water and you'll you'll understand we're we're just gonna do this one as a oneer. uh <laughs> kubrick you fucking madman hey malcolm i hope your breathing apparatus doesn't break yeah that one is rough to see and like it it always it also kind of goes into that of course these guys who were just like punk ass little shits as kids became cops so there's there's that um there's the obvious one of just like him in the chair with the eyes pried open that's that's just low-hanging fruit oh yeah yeah um like right right after like they finish the treatment and they're like showcasing it and like the one dude just starts punching him and he starts getting sick and then the topless lady walks out there's just something very memorable about that moment yeah yeah it's it's a it's a fun movie for the whole family <laughs> <laughs> kids love 
Okay, so Tim actually his immediate uh his first response was originally my answer as well when uh he finds out that his friends have also become cops. I, I, I do wanna mention I have two two bits. Uh one's a quick one, one's more uh kind of a weird fucking story that I have with this movie. You mentioned the uh the scene where they're showing off that he's been quote unquote cured and there's the topless woman on stage. There's a shot that kind of broke my brain. The like bird's eye view shot of like Malcolm McDowell like looking up at this woman with his hands kind of broke my brain because I'm trying to figure out how the fuck they got that shot with the equipment that they had back in like whenever the fuck they shot this. You know, they just got a DSLR down there, you know, back in <laughs> 1971. <laughs> Mirrors. It broke my brain just trying to figure out how they got that shot. So now I, I might as well just tell a weird story that I have with this movie. Um, but back when I was in community college and I was kind of going through some shit, um, alcoholism, I wasn't dabbling in drugs, but I was a, I was a hard alcoholic back in community college. But I also kind of slept around a lot in, in college. But there was, uh, I, I don't want to say she was like a goth chick, but she kind of bordered on it. Um, so I fucked this movie. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this it was the weirdest experience ever. I was also drunk when we did it. It, It's kind of weird thinking back on it because we were like really early on into the movie. And it's the uh, the fight between uh, Alex and Billy Boy and just like what happens before the fight, because we had started by that point. It was it. It's weird looking back on that, <laughs> rewatching it. Th- that scene stood out to me because oh, it triggered a memory of when I was drunk and was fucking a girl. Because I'm just like, man, I I was really out of it in community college back in 2014. Uh, 2014, shit, fucking year. I'm so proud that that is on the podcast. This is one o'clock. <laughs> Orange deserves. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. I I now have uh, my uh, you. You made out during Schindler's List story. There's your uh, Seinfeld reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I think that makes Joe the first person on the podcast to very seriously claim to have sex. Let's give him a round of applause. Ladies and gentlemen, I have had sex. <laughs> yes. All right. For me, it's always been the same. And this is deeply personal, not because of a story I associate this with, just because it does something weird in my brain. And it's that exact scene that Joe has the fuck memory to. It's the scene where he goes out. Joe, why'd you do this to me? That's my favorite scene in the whole movie when he's shouting at Billy Boy from across that what actually was a derelict hotel on Tags Island. And they just go all full WWE on each other. It just—it's early on in the movie, and it gives you this sort of epic tingle in my brain. I absolutely love the dialogue, the fog that's coming out of their mouths, the way they go at it, and they got the weird handheld camera. By the way, this was Stanley Kubrick's quickest production. He was finished with it, and I think a little under a year, which is not not usual for him at all. Nice. Um, and honorable mention to one shot, since now I have to wash the. Watch the Joe and goth girl out of my mind. Uh, This is in a scene I generally don't like watching, but there's one shot when it's at the old writer's house the first time, you know, home. And I think he's like on top of a desk and he kicks some shit and it does a fun little dolly move. And every time that comes on, I point and I go, Kubrick, you the master. 
And then I'm, and then, you know, that's, that's it for me. All right. Time for the meat and potatoes for all the college kids out there who need their essay on this book done by morning and came here. So yet they're, they're going to fail that essay. Boys, what do you think the message of the film is? I, I might as well just say fuck nuance and just go full dumb guy brain and say police brutality, uh, government control, all bad, all scary. I, I, that that's that is how far I am going to go with my nuance and just that's as far as I'm going to go with my answer and I'll let everybody else talk about it because everyone else can do it more justice than I can. <laughs> All right, Tim, let's see if you can pull a rabbit out of a hat. Say the first new thing said about a clockwork orange in 30 years. Oh, I got one. I got one. I, I think this movie was very ahead of its time. I think this movie was warning us about the dangers of the COVID vaccine. Whoa, what um, did you just say on my Google Ads <laughs> podcast? <laughs> wait, wait. Yeah, let, uh, you got that. Yeah, let's, uh, let's be I, serious I just, here. This isn't getting past ads. Sorry. No. <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to make that joke for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's, there's not much to be said that hasn't been said. Yeah, I mean... Um, Police brutality, government control, Beethoven's good. Uh, <laughs> he didn't those, hurt those, nobody, he just made those, music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It hurts people when you, you associate uh, good things with bad things. <laughs> Operant conditioning, very dangerous. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. It's unlikely that any government should ever be trusted to control people's bodies to the point where there's no crime. If people can't engage in acts of resistance, even if the result is chaos, those bastards in Parliament could and would turn us into a zoo of their own animals. I liked I wanted to say that on on a recording. All right. Who's ready for trivia time? A little bit of trivia. Austin's Trivia Corner. All right, so do you know how much the rights for this book were sold for? Has anyone seen the number? No. Anthony Burgess was hard up on money, and he sold the rights for $500. That's it. (laughs) Same. Do you want to know who the film was originally planned to star? So there was this little rock band from England at the time, uh, pretty obscure, called the Rolling Stones. And Mick Jagger had an interest in playing Alex. And the people who ultimately put a stop to A Clockwork Orange starring the Rolling Stones was the British censor board themselves. They said, if you do this, we will not pass your movie no matter what. So the rights went over to Kubrick and he ended up making this. So there's the scene at the end where Alex tries to snuff it, you know? And you see that shot where he's like, you know, first person tumbling out of a window. Guess how they did that? They took a Newman Sinclair clockwork camera and they just threw it off the Chorus Hotel just over and over (laughs) while the film was rolling. And it actually somehow survived six takes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's insane. Yeah, I they don't make those like that anymore. I threw a red off a hotel once, and uh, it didn't do me any favors. 
So the, the scene where everybody's walking in the in a circle in the prison yard is a recreation of a Van Gogh painting, Prisoners Exercising. This has a special thing that it shares in common with Midnight Cowboy. Anybody want to guess what a Clockwork Orange and Midnight Cowboy have in common? An X rating. X rating and Best Picture nominations. Joe gets the whipped cream on his Sunday. Fuck yeah, Joe. Yes. An X rating and a Best Picture nod. Clockwork Orange was nominated for four Academy Awards, none of which won. It's rumored that Kubrick went to the Oscars, drunk off his ass, and started challenging everybody to a game of chess while an actor was trying to accept his award. (laughs) That's all hearsay, but I mean, among the other Kubrick hearsay... You know, it might water people down a little bit. It's less vicious. I, I, I want to believe that that's an actual thing. If that's all just like rumor, I don't care. I believe that that actually happened because that's just funny. <laughs> I want to be like John Malkovich in that one movie where he pretends to be Stanley Kubrick. I'm just going to go on the Internet and invent shitty things that Stanley Kubrick did to distract people from his behavior on The Shining. <laughs> all right. And the last one. So... Lots of people talk about this. This is a pretty surface-level clockwork orange fact, but I actually didn't really understand it until last night. So the way the book ends, Alex grows up, and he experiences reform, but sort of organically. Like, he realizes over time the path of least resistance is to not be a sociopath who goes around breaking into people's houses and killing them. And so, you know, there's this fabled last chapter of the book, and it is not in the Kubrick movie. And some people don't understand the actual reason for that is that last chapter isn't in the U.S. edition of the book, or it wasn't at the time. The real reason it's not in this movie is just because the U.S. editor who was putting out the book looked at the last chapter and went, this is bullshit, and left it out, and Cooper got that version of the book, I guess. (laughs) That's the real reason A Clockwork Orange has the ending, where he's still kind of a sod. (laughs) All right. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, I, I, I guess we sort of said everything on this. I consider this a film film studies 4,000 level class discourse we just had. So let's take it easy. Final words. I don't care. Say whatever the fuck you want. What did you just say? <laughs> you said every, whatever you want. Uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is definitely a movie that's stood the test of time in its own ways. Obviously, the the main character is yeah a, an asshole, but you also it, you also see that oh uh, the the powers that be are also assholes. Everybody kind of sucks. Another thing, like the one, the one cop or the one detective guy, got so excited to say, uh, you, "You you're a murderer. Uh, you're going to jail. That lady died." They're more excited that they have the opportunity to send this guy to prison than uh, mourning about this loss. That that says a lot about society, as one Joaquin Phoenix might say. Um, <laughs> that, 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 I think, is going to do it for me. <laughs> I know for a fact... That Mr. Deltoid, the guy who was his corrective officer before he was a murderer, is definitely sad Alex is going to jail. Because inside jail, Alex's penis is a hundred times harder to touch for Mr. Deltoid, who normally can just get a key from his mom, walk onto his bed, and grab his pain. Uh, it was a sad day for Mr. Deltoid. Joe, any any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with for our, our 6,000s level masterclass on Kubrick? Oh, God. Uh, I'll quickly repeat 
a couple things that I said earlier. Uh, I hope that this is the last video ever made about a Clockwork Orange. E everyone else on YouTube, please fucking stop. There's too many. Just <laughs> let it. Let this be the last one. Overall, yeah, good movie. Um, if you're young and want to get into filmmaking, watch it. If you haven't already, um, if you're an adult and are wanting to get into filmmaking, watch it. Um, and I might as well send a message out to the youths who might be watching this. Um, <laughs> Tim Tim brought it up. Kind of like the Joker. Don't fucking look up to Alex. If you do and you worship him, you're an asshole. I'm sorry. I hate to say it. And you might actually need some serious psychological help. In fact, if you like Alex, you're probably worse than those people that really like the Joker or the fucking Punisher for that matter. My relationship is Alex and one of those chicks he fucked at some point in the movie. <laughs> and we're, we're in a really great edgy relationship. Well, happy 50th, Clockwork Orange. Hope this is making you happy. <laughs> You're 50 years old. You're old. Fuck you. <laughs> and that, that, that's what I hope people say to me on my 50th. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll remember that, Joe. I'll remember that. We got it on tape. You, it, it'll be easy to remember. And, and then you'll be like, Tim, you're 52. Shut the fuck up. Exactly. <laughs> it's on your 50th birthday, both of you. I will say people are mistaken if they've looked up to you. Just like this. <laughs> Oh, God. I, I do like that because, you, you know, I don't even watch most movies twice. Most of the movies you watch in your life, I don't think you're going to watch them twice. That's just how time works. That's how art consumption works. I have definitely seen this over 10 times. Not just that, but the movie morphs as my brain changes. I think that's hilarious that the movie's deep enough to actually do that. You know how people say, like, eat your vegetables, right? But, like, vegetables are good for the human body. This is like saying, take your drugs. Like Denzel Washington in Training Day. Pointing the gun at Ethan Hawke and making him smoke PCP. That's what a clockwork orange is for future film students of America. Remember to take your drugs. It's important. Or, I guess in this movie's terms, drink your milk. Hey. Hey. Well, I guess we have mixed feelings on a clockwork orange, which is... There, because he was really going to have the final word on this movie anyway. Well, it's definitely not you, because you're busy tuned in watching our podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you're listening on any of the audio platforms, please remember to leave a review and do a thumbs up and five star that shit, because it helps us get ahead in the algorithm. And if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you so much. Please go down into the comment section. Do you like a clockwork orange? Were any of us on point? Why am I shouting? Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's that Tanner energy that's getting to you. Yeah, the host thing has made me <laughs> mad with power. Well, good thing I'm not hosting next week for a movie I'm equally as excited about that I saw last night. Denny Villeneuve's adaptation of the Frank Herbert book, Dude! Um, remember to hit the like button. And then after that, hit the subscribe button. And don't hit the bell icon. Because I don't believe real people ever hit the bell icon. I've never seen anyone do it. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your night. And remember... When a man cannot choose, he ceases to be a man. Thank you, Joe. You're welcome. Right. Have All a right. good night. Peace, bitches. Farewell. Farewell.